Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Just little anvils. We have a friend with a 3D printer, so it works out. All right, hey, it, like Christina said earlier on, it's been one of those weeks, right? All kinds of stuff going on. And so I wanted to start today with a little bit of joy. And I want to watch a video here in just a second. And it's, it's an oldie. It's an oldie. All right, so the graphics may not be up to the 2021 standards. Uh, but it was a video that I probably watched like 100 times when I was Dylan's age. So I was wishing Dylan was here because it's hilarious. So you're going to have to show it to him. All right, but listen, this is a funny video. It's a little longer, about three minutes, but I want you to watch it, and I want you to listen to what he says. All right, go ahead and play it. We were having technical difficulties, so hopefully it works, or the whole sermon's done. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked with the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea, especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. Yeah, baby! Next time I'm going to hit you so hard, you're going to go into flight. NASA's going to think I didn't launch a satellite. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the flow and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! Don't you run from me! You can't escape my grasp! D-Gray will throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got, I just got some more important things I got to do. Uh-huh. Hey, man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I got to go. Selfishness? The world needs a message. For God to love the world, he wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. We're intrigued as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go. Here's your double cappuccino latte mocha with a twist. Not too hot, not too cold. Perfect for you. Anyway, man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know. Like, we were supposed to be sharing our faith in, like, coffee shop. Whoa! Whoa! Shut out in a coffee shop, baby! You next! 
it's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program. Pride comes before the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament. You know this. Thanks for the coffee, Darren. Hey, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Yo mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, that they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knocks the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. When you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire. I can be everywhere and just know that I'm always watching. Ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. Are you ready for game day? All right, so that's actually Darwin Gray. He, uh, they filmed that when he was, after he was drafted to the Indianapolis Colts back in the day. Now he's a pastor of Transformation Church in, in uh, North Carolina, and that's how he like tackles you when you come through the door. So. You, be grateful I don't do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. I love that video. I fell in love with that video the first time that I, I watched it because right, tackling people who aren't expecting it is just right, hilarious. Right? It's funny. Right? You, you, we're giggling about it. But secondly, right, I love that video because it makes fun of the idea of just like forced evangelism, something we, we think we have to do. Right? And, and the same time, right, the video, it highlights why we often don't talk to others about Jesus, right? It, it does, it really does, right? When I say the word evangelism, what do we think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe you think of someone standing on a street corner with a, with a sign and they're, they're shouting that the end is near. Maybe now, after watching that, you think of him tackling people, Right? Right? Maybe you think of those people who come around and they, they knock on everyone's door and they said, if you die today right now, are you ready to meet Jesus? And maybe, maybe you think one of, one of those, those TV preachers who are running from one end of the stage to the other end of the stage and they're sweating and they're, they're pounding their fists on the podium and they're screaming, get right with the Lord right now. Right? Maybe that's what pops up into your mind. Well, let me set your mind at ease, right? We're not going to adopt that philosophy of tackling people into Christ, right? But it's not what we're going to talk about today either. Right? We're not going to talk about the guy on the street corner or why we should do that. Or, or, or we're not going to talk about the, uh, the knocking on people's door. Because here's the truth, right? Evangelism, right? Evangelism, real evangelism, life-changing evangelism. Sharing our faith is just one person, right? One person. Right? talking about how their life is different because of their relationship with Jesus. Right? That is evangelism. One person talking to another person about how their life is different because of their Lord and their King and their Savior, Jesus. Right? That's it. It is that simple. It's simple, right? But even though it's as simple as that, Many of us don't do it. Right? Many of us, we don't do it. So, so it begs the question, take, take, a, take a look, right? It begs this question. Why don't we talk to others more about our faith in Christ? Right? Why don't we talk to others more about our faith in who Jesus is? Listen, a, a recent 
a Barna study said that almost all practicing Christians, almost all practicing Christians believe that a part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus, right? Telling others about Jesus, right? It ranges from 95% to 97% among all generational groups believe, right, that a part of our faith should be telling others about Jesus. Now, further down in that study by Barnard, the most, that most Christians, they say, firmly believe that the best thing, the absolute best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus, right? 94 to 97% of Christians would say that. Right? That the best thing for someone in this life is for them and in the next to know Jesus. Now, it went on to say that millennials in particular feel uh, equipped to share their faith with others. Right? For, for instance, almost three quarters say that they know how to respond when someone raises questions about faith. Right? That's millennials. 73% say they know how to respond when someone asks them about their faith. And they are gifted at sharing their faith with other people. That's, again, 73% would say that. Now, this is higher than any other generational group. For example, Gen X is only 66%. Right, that they would say. Uh, boomers are, are only 59% would say that they are equipped or able to say that they could share their faith. And then the next generation, the elder generation, is only 56%. Now, all numbers aside, that's still a pretty good sampling, right? Uh, it's still good, good news. So why are we not sharing our faith? And that's, that's the question. And, and I believe that the answer to that question mostly comes down to our having the wrong attitudes. And just the wrong attitudes, right? We, we come to the idea of telling others about our faith with fear, right? the, the fear of rejection, or we come to it with a, a sense of selfishness, right? the, the desire to keep our, our faith to ourself. Or, or we, we come with a, uh, the prideful belief that other people aren't good enough for Jesus. Right? We, we kind of think that. Right? And all these attitudes, all these wrong attitudes, boil down to some very basic questions. Right? Just, just think about these real quick with me. All right, questions like, like, how badly do I really want to share my faith? All right? And when we're thinking about these wrong attitudes, or, or questions about how badly do I want people to love Jesus and to forge their life on him? How badly do I want that? Or maybe even the question of, of how much do I, I love Jesus myself, and how much do I want to forge my faith on him? It has the the linebacker in the video says, the world needs our message, right? He said, for God so loved the world, he wants to communicate it through us, right? Through you, right? So, so the question now starts to evolve, right? It starts to evolve. It comes down to a different attitude, the attitude of this. Take a look, the attitude of want to, right? It comes down to the attitude of, do we want to do this? Right? If we want to do something badly enough, we will find a way to do it. Right? Look, at it look at it like this. A while ago, the Philadelphia Eagles 
Uh, they, they, there was a story in the news about a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles who wanted to go to the Super Bowl. It was the first Super Bowl since this guy was 11 years old that the Philadelphia Eagles went to, and he was excited. Right? He made a promise to himself when he was 11 that if the Eagles ever make it to the Super Bowl again, he was going to be there. And so he told his wife, I don't care if we have to mortgage our house, I'm going Right? And she agreed, and so this, this man, Kevin O'Donohue, paid thousands of dollars for a package that included round-trip airfare, four nights in a hotel, and, and one ticket to the, to the big game. Right? Now, not the, not the smartest move, right? right? But, the, but the trip was financed through a home equity loan, which they obtained by putting up their house as collateral on the loan. Right? Mortgage banks in the area of Philadelphia said that many Eagles fans asked about refinancing mortgages or taking out home equity loans with payments of like $100 more a month to pay for the trip that this man, O'Donohue, would describe as the chance of the lifetime, right? of his lifetime. Right? These people were literally bowled over, right? get it? Right? They were literally super bold, bowled over, come on guys, right, by their desire to be at the Super Bowl and all the events that lead up to it. Right? They, they literally loved their team so much and they valued the event so seriously that they would pay any price to get where they wanted to go. Right? And so, so the question is for us, how badly... Right? How badly do we want to get to where God wants us to go? Are we, are we willing to pay any price like Kevin O'Donohue? That's the tension. That's the tension. Those are the questions that we face this morning, church. And since we've been in this series that we're calling New Phone, Who Dis? Right? And in this series, we're looking at, at small stories in Scripture that have big truths, right? Looking at characters in the Bible who, if you, if you got a new phone and you, you did the contact transfer, they may not make that transfer, right? They're not big enough in your life that they're not going to make that transfer, right? So, so if they text you, you would have to reply, got a new phone, who this? Right? We're looking at those stories, those people in Scripture with, with small stories and big truths. And since that's what we're doing, I want to look at this man in the New Testament book of Acts this morning. Right, that faced this very tension. He faced these same questions that we're asking, right? And he had to answer those questions. And the price that he would have to pay could have been very, very high. Right? We're talking life and death. Right? The man I want to talk about is the man Ananias. Right? He loved God, this man. He was forging his life on God. He was a a leader in the the Christian church in this in this twenty in this in this first century church, right? He was he was a leading Christian in the Damascus part of that church, but he wasn't sure how badly he wanted to get to where God wanted him to go. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the New Testament book of Acts. If you don't have your Bibles, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are free for you to have, to use, to give away. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and if you're watching online or if you're here in person, you can download the Foundry Burke app. There's a little QR code and 
on the chairs or there in the, in the live stream. You can download that app and click the Bible tab, and it's already pulled up for you. All right, nine, chapter 9 of, of Acts, verses 11 through 12 says this. It says, The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for the, uh, a man from Taurus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. All right, keep your finger right there. All right, now, this would, seem, right, this would seem like a great privilege, right? right God is telling Ananias to do this, right? right? God singles out Ananias. He singles him out to do this special task for him. But Ananias appears to be in no hurry to go and to do this. Because in the, in the next two verses, we find Ananias actually telling God some things, right? Look at, look at verse 13 through 14. It says, But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. Calls upon the name of Jesus. Right? In other words, Ananias bows in prayer to God. Right? He's hearing what God is telling him to do, and he bows in prayer to God, and he says, Dude, you're crazy. Right? This, is, this is nuts. Right? God, do you know who this guy is? He hurts people. He's going to hurt me. Right? I think you might be talking about the wrong saw. It can't be this one, right? That's what's going through his mind. And now we know, we know that Ananias, he does end up going, right? He, he fulfills this task, but it's only because somebody bigger than a, than a 300-pound linebacker told him to, right? God, right? God told him to, so he, he listens, he obeys. And in Ananias' case, not to be too hard on him, though, Right? It wasn't pride. It wasn't selfishness that caused him to hesitate. Right? There were actually two reasons for his hesitation, and I want to look at those uh, real quick today. The first one was just outright fear. Yeah, that was just it. Right? He was first, first hesitation, right? outright fear. Right? Saul, this man that he was called to go talk to, to to talk about his faith with, Saul had murdered Christians. Right? He was not exactly high up on the list of people that Ananias wanted to meet. Right? He was afraid, and he still went. Right? He, was, he was scared, and he still went. Right? The, the verse did not say that Ananias stopped being afraid, and so he decided to go. That's not what it says. It just says that he went because God told him to. He went because he knew what was at stake for the God of the universe. Right? He, he knew that God had a plan and that he was a part of it, and so he just he went. Right? God had a, a plan for Saul, so Ananias had to go, no matter how scared, right? no matter how much he worried, no matter how fearful he was, he went. All right, let's, let's think about it like this. Right, three military recruiters were going to address a group of high school uh, students, high school seniors. And each recruiter represented a branch of the military. There was the Army, the Navy, and the Marines at this particular event. 
and they were each given 15 minutes to speak and make their case about their branch of the military. And the army and the the Navy recruiters, they each talked about their branch, uh, why it was the best, and, and all the amazing benefits of, of joining their branch of the military. They went on and on about how great the Army or how great the Navy was, and, and both of them went over their, their allotted times to speak, right? They went over their 15 minutes. So when it came time for the, the Marine to speak, he just had two minutes left in the, in the assembly, in the, in the meeting. And so he walked up, and he stood utterly silent at the podium for 60 seconds. He just stood there for half his time, just stood there, right? And then he said, I doubt whether there are two or three of you in this room who would have or even stand a chance to to experience or to be in the Marine Corps. That's all he said, right? And then as he was walking off the stage, if you're one of those two or three, Let's meet in the lunchroom after this is dismissed. Right? That's all he said. That's all he did, right? He turned, he sat down, and when he arrived in the lunchroom a little bit later, the, there was a crowd of students interested in the Marine Corps. Not to dog on any other branch of the service, right? You see, the, the recruiter knew that commitment, right, commitment cannot take place without recognizing the potential for difficulty. Right? So, so the truth is, is that Ananias' story, <laughs> this little story in Scripture, reminds us that there are things that are going to be going on. Things that we don't understand. Things that are scary or confusing. Difficult things in life. When we forge our life on God, there's going to be difficult. There's going to be scary things. There are going to be, be times that God asks us to do something that is, is risky and, and scares us to death. But without fear, there can be no faith. Right? So, so we may be afraid too, right? Uh, afraid of, of rejection. Uh, afraid of, uh, of judgment. Afraid someone will ask us a, a question that we don't know the answer to. Afraid that, that our faith is not big enough uh, to talk to the Saul that is in our story, that God has placed in our story. But as, again, the linebacker, the linebacker says in the video, fear of rejection, <laughs> this is the best line, let me tell you about fear. Fourth and one and, and Jerry Rice, what's he going to do? Right? That doesn't compare to fourth and one in eternity. That doesn't compare to fourth and one in eternity, right? Fourth and one in eternity is what we're talking about here, Founders Church, right? There are people on the edge of the greatest decision of their life in their life of eternity. They're on the edge of that decision, and you are the player, right? You are the, the person that God wants in the field to go for the win, to go for the touchdown, and again, as the evangelism linebacker pointed out, he said, it doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ who loves us. Right? God loves us. That's what's so cool, right? And he counts on us to make uh, the difference in reaching others with his salvation, with his grace, and with his truth. Right? How to keep the the football theme going. You knew I was going to talk about football when all the NFL games started st kicking off, right? All right, to keep this football theme going, have you ever seen a game, right, 
key touchdown, the, the, the game-winning score was done by somebody who's, who doesn't normally get to do that sort of thing. Right, maybe a, a linebacker intercepted a pass in the inside and they, they run it back for a touchdown, right? a pick six, and, and their team wins. Right? Maybe every big man's dream, right? The, the, there's a fumble and the center just ends up with the ball and he falls kind of over the goal line and it's a touchdown and he scores and everybody loves him, right? right those, those are the players they're, that don't normally do those things, right? They're, they're not the stars. They're not the guys that you would expect to make touchdowns, but sometimes they do. And they do it because it's their job, right? And they struggle to win for their coach, right? They, they struggle to win for their team. And because they are faithful, right, they, they do those little things. They do what's needed. Their team wins, right? In the same way, Ananias, right, he was faithful, he was faithful to his coach. He was faithful to his team. And because he was faithful, his name is written down in Scripture. He is known in heaven and on earth as the man who baptized Saul into Christ. Now, if you don't know, Saul later becomes Paul. And Paul writes half of the New Testament. Right? That's who Saul becomes. Right? The, the, that's the, so that's the first reason he hesitated. Fear. I don't write fear. Now, the second reason that Ananias was hesitant to listen to God, and if we're, careful, if we're not careful, we're going to miss this, is that, is that Ananias looks at God and he says, Paul's not church material. <laughs> right? That's the second reason he hesitates. Right? He's like, eh, this, this Saul, this Paul guy, man, he's not really church material. He's actually a player for the other team. Right? He's the bad guy. Why would I, I go to him? Right? Saul's not exactly the kind of, of guy that you would want to sit next to in church. Right? He, had, he had been responsible for the first Christian's death by stoning. Right? He, he caused the first Christian martyr, Stephen, to die. Right? He stoned him to death outside of the, the city of Jerusalem. And Saul made it his goal in life to make sure that other followers of Jesus either died or were put in prison. Right? That was his goal, his purpose in life. Right? This man was not a, a good candidate to be a part of the group. Right? And that's what Ananias was thinking. Right? He was an enemy of Jesus because of what he had done. And don't we do the same thing? I mean, really, think about it, right? right? We look at people and we say, well, they're beyond redemption, right? I, you know, we say, I'll talk to my friend who, who grew up in church but kind of just stopped going. I'll talk to him, right? I'll, I'll talk to them about, about Jesus because they just need a little nudge in the right direction. Right? And, and listen, yes, talk to them. Right? Give them the nudge. But you also can't say, I'm not going to talk to that guy. Right? You can't say that. You can't say, I'm not going to talk to that one who's always angry all the time or, or curses too much or drinks too much. You can't say, no, not him. I won't talk to him. He's just too far gone. We can't say that. Right? But that's what we do. Right? We do that because we take the easy way. Hey, we'll, we'll take the, the risk of inviting our friend to church or into a relationship with Jesus, but we won't take the risk of inviting our enemy to know Jesus. 
That's just too far. Well, let me, let, uh, let me remind us of something that, that Saul, when he became Paul, actually wrote. Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, or it's right there on the screen. It says this. Right, this includes you who were once far away from God. Right? Right, so it includes us. You were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That's us. Right? He's, he's talking about us. Right? You were there too, he says. Because of your, your thoughts and your actions, you were once far too far gone. Is there a little bit more there? Click it there. He says, you're too far gone. And then he says, you now, yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. We were too far gone. We were beyond redemption. But now we are reconciled. Right? We're reconciled. Right? Some, someone had the, the faith that God would, would, would turn Saul, right? a murdering, hateful, vengeful man, into Paul. A man who, who wrote most of the New Testament and is part of the reason that the gospel even reached America could do the same for you. Right? Sure. Ananias was right when he said to God, this Saul guy is a, is a mess. But God considered Saul, this mess, his chosen vessel, long, long before there appeared anything worthy in Saul to choose, right? God knew that, that he could make Saul into something, that Saul had the potential to live his best life, a life that was forged on God. And even when Saul or Ananias didn't know what that was, they didn't count, count it out. Right? Ananias didn't count Saul out, and, and Saul, once he started that process, didn't count himself out. As I was working on this sermon, I was reminded of a event in my life, there was uh, some of my teammates in college, again, keep it the football theme, all right, there were some of my teammates in college, and they were behind me in a, uh, in a class, and they were, they were saying things, and I could hear what they were saying, they were, they were cursing, they were using just ugly, nasty words, and I found myself being a little angry, and I'm thinking, why are they, why are they doing this, why are they cutting in front of these girls and talking about people like this, right? And I realized that that's who Jesus died for, right? And they were behaving just like, like you would expect any person who didn't believe in Jesus yet to behave, right? They, they weren't Christians. And so I thought to myself, why, why should they worry about their language in public, right? Why should they be concerned about where they lived or how they treated others or if they go out and party or, or if they cheat on their significant others or, or if they get drunk on Saturday night? Why should it matter? Right? The, the, the truth is, it won't matter. It will not matter. None of that matters if you don't know Jesus, until you know Jesus, right? And the one thing that's going to make any difference in their life is if one of us, or in that case, me, we're going to tell them about Jesus. That's what's going to make the difference, right? The only way any difference will be made in their destiny, in their eternity, is if we invite them to come to church with us so that they can hear from us, from each other, from, from this community about the love of Jesus and God's wonderful and powerful grace. 
Otherwise, why change, right? Right, Paul, Paul did not change because Ananias disapproved of his lifestyle. Right? That's not why Paul changed. Right? Paul did not change because the, the Christians picketed outside of his house and, and told him to repent now. That's not what made him a Christian. Right? Paul did not change because someone pointed out on Facebook that his post was wrong and, and they should pray to God for mercy right now. That never works. Right? right, Paul didn't care about the opinion of the church. He didn't care. He could care less about what Christians thought of him or what Christians thought he should do or, or what was right in terms of what the Christians, the followers of Jesus at that time thought was right. He didn't care about the opinion of Christians in his community, on his road, in his neighborhood. The only time... Paul was ready to change was when he came face to face with Jesus. That's the only time. That's the only thing that could change him. And when that happened, Paul couldn't change fast enough. He spends three whole days fasting and praying. He spends three whole days asking uh, for God to make a difference in his life. And at the end of all that time, our man Ananias stops over for coffee. Right? He tells Paul about God's will for his life. He ministers to Paul's needs by laying his hands on Paul's eyes and heals his blindness by the power of the Spirit of God. Right? And then he asks Paul to make a decision in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, where it says this. Right? He says this, What are you waiting for? This is Ananias speaking to Paul, right? to Saul. At this time, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Right? And when Paul came out of that water, he was a changed man. Right? He finished the loop. He heard. He heard the gospel, he believed the gospel, he, he repented of his, his former ways, he confessed Jesus to be his Lord. I, Jesus, I want to I live for you, I want to accept your salvation, I, I want you to be my Lord. Right? And then he was baptized, right? he was finishing that loop, he was a changed man, he met him in the waters of baptism. Right? And then he, he later wrote about this experience in Romans chapter 6. Right? He says this in Romans chapter 6, right? since... Since we have died to sin, right? That's what he's saying. Since I have died to sin, I'm living this new way. Since I have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And he says, since we have been united, since we've been united with him in his death, we'll be also raised to life as he was. Man, what a difference. From stoning Stephen to proclaiming eternal life with God his Father. Right? Paul's life was literally brought from death to life because someone told him about what Jesus could do and how he could have that grace for himself. Someone listened to the call of God in their life and they evangelized the least likely of all Christians. Listen, at the 
at the beginning of this service, we sang the song, My Testimony, right? I think it was the second song. I don't, I'm not good with music. I asked the, the, the team to sing this song this week because the words ring so true to the life of Ananias and the life that God has called us to. All right, let me, let me sing for you. I'm just kidding. All right. Listen to the chorus. He said, this is what we sang, right? This is my testimony. This is my testimony from, from death to life because grace rewrote my story. I'll testify, it says. By Jesus Christ, the righteous, I am justified. This is my testimony. That's evangelism. Telling others what Jesus has done for us. Stepping up to the table with others. Sharing that. That's what evangelism looks like, man. It is the honest reflection on our life that we were once dead. We once were dead, and now we are life. That we are life. That grace, the powerful grace of Jesus, rewrote our story, and now we are justified. We are reconciled, we are redeemed. And as the song also said, if we are not dead, then God is not done. Foundry Church. If we're not dead, six feet under, there's still purpose, there's still a mission, there's still a task, there's still direction. <laughs> Something to grab a hold of and advance in the name of the kingdom. In the name of our God. Right, we, we know literally nothing about the life of Ananias before this or after this passage of Scripture. We don't know how he, he came to Damascus, what happened to him afterwards. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know anything about his occupation or his wealth or his health. Ananias was just an ordinary dude, part of the church. Right? He, he was not an apostle, a prophet. He wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't an elder. He wasn't a deacon, but he was willing the greatest of all those titles. And he was willing. He was willing to work through the fear. He was willing to, to push aside his preconceived ideas about worthiness and just answer the stinking call that God gave him. He didn't understand it. He just answered it. Right? Lean, lean in, Foundry. Listen, all right? I, I really want us to, to think about some of these questions this, this day, this afternoon when we leave here, this week. So some of these questions that we can really chew on. And that's this, right? Lean in and grab a hold of these. Will you answer the call? Right? Will you answer the call? Will you cast aside fear or confusion and answer the call? Will you talk to the person that no one else will talk to? Right? Will you be the Ananias in someone else's life? Right? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have anything but the Holy Spirit, and God will take it from there. Right, Ananias was just an ordinary follower of Jesus, and he ended up changing the world because he talked to one person. And as the, as the band comes back up, I want to I talk about a, another man, a man named uh, Mordecai Ham. And I think that's a great name. Maybe Stephen Breach could name their kid Mordecai. <laughs> Never mind. All right. <laughs> Mordecai Ham. 
right? He, uh, he grew up on a, on a farm in southern Kentucky, kind of on the, the, the Tennessee border, just north of the Tennessee border. His family was not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. And really, no one in that area of the country has anything, right? Especially during this time in the, the 30s and the 40s. He was blessed, and he, he went into business right out of college to, to remedy that issue for his family and for his community, for, for those around him. But after just a few years in business, his grandfather, a, a preacher, died, and Mordecai felt the tug to become a minister and follow in his, his grandfather's footsteps. He was by no means a perfect man, but he did his best to preach the gospel wherever God asked him to. And one night at a very old school uh, tent revival, right? We've seen those in movies, they're cool. Right? In Charlotte, North Carolina, he, he stood up on the podium and he said these words. He said, there is a great sinner in this place tonight. He stood up on the podium in front of all these people, hundreds of people, and he said, there's a great sinner in this place tonight. And he just kind of stood there. And they're hiding in the, the choir loft, kind of in the back of the whole thing, right? Where there, people were kind of arranging and getting things ready. Sat a, sat a young, young kid, so you didn't have to sit up front and actually look at the preacher, right? He sat back there kind of where he was hidden. That young man, that young boy, his name was Billy Graham, and he heard those lives, and his, his life was changed forever, right? He, he accepted that, right? Billy Graham eventually went on to, to preach the gospel around the world, telling millions of people about what Jesus had done for him. A great sinner, and eventually becoming known as America's pastor. And all that was because Mordecai Ham chose to set aside his sphere of losing, losing wealth and preach to the great sinners of the world, to step into their mess and have a relationship with people who are far from God while he kept himself close to God. Now, most of us, we don't know the name Mordecai Ham. And a lot of us probably didn't know much about or even know the name Ananias before today. But here's the truth, right? Average men, right? And men who are, are not perfect, men and women who are not perfect, are called every day by, by God to tell someone about Jesus. That's one of our measures here at the Foundry. It's what we strive to do. When we say we forge our life on God, we want to become forged. Right? One of those is growing as a leader worth following, and one of those is, is, is responsible for inviting others to Jesus. That's the R in forge, responsible for inviting others to Jesus. Right? And who knows, maybe the person that you tell about Jesus this week or, or today will be the next Paul. Maybe it'll be the next Billy Graham or, or D.L. Moody. Who knows? You never know what God has planned. We just got to take the step. And so as we stand right now, as, as we're, we're here or we're watching online, think about these questions, those questions that I asked. Will you answer the call? Will you cast fear aside? Will you talk to the person that no one will else talk to? Will you be an Ananias in someone's life? Think about that as we, as we sing, as we proclaim our Lord, because it's by his power that we're able to do just that. Let's worship.